Welcome to Magra Radio, a broadcast project of Magra Books, streaming worldwide for your listening pleasure. We bring you news that stays news. And now, The Comedian as the Letter N by Bill Moore. A priest, a minister, and a rabbi walk into a bar. The priest orders a Guinness, the minister a martini, and the rabbi a pitcher of water. The rabbi extends his right hand over the pitcher of water, holds it there, and looks the priest right in the eye. O ye of little faith, the rabbi says. He pours a glass and takes a sip, then another sip. How is it, the priest inquires. Well, for a Chardonnay, says the rabbi, it's a little diluted. So the other night, my routine wasn't going well. Sort of like tonight. Just kidding. You're a wonderful audience. Did I tell you that yet? Everybody is always reminded, admire the audience, praise them, admonish them with adulation. It wasn't until I heard this for the umpteenth time that I realized why I wasn't cut out for this business, but I just couldn't help humiliating myself one more time. It's not that I want to be famous, but I'd love knowing that someone famous heard me tell a joke. I'm sure there's someone a half century ago who yearned for the same thing, who wanted to look up and say, hey, he's here. Who? Lenny. Lenny who? It's Lenny, and it's up to his ass in cripples and wheelchairs. Now he's a saint, isn't he? And half of you don't know that I've just cited what he really got martyred for. If you've ever tried to write a joke, you know where this is headed. A man walks into a bar and says, There are two cars parked outside, one with a just-married sign in the back window, and the other one's decorated just-divorced. Anybody know about either one? The second one's mine, says a beautiful brunette in a low-cut dress. It's not being towed, is it? Your car's fine, the man says, but two young people in the back seat of the other car are getting exceptionally familiar. Oh, that's just my daughter with her new husband. Now that's one thing I've never done, she says, made love in the back seat. Would you be interested in exploring my fantasy? And you can guess at how this turns out. And that's the difference between a funny story and a joke. A funny story coils around the very thing that desperately wants to distract us from the prolonged pleasure we were promised at birth but never got. Whereas a joke can't help but make us laugh at ourselves for succumbing to illusion again and again and again and again, like the woman who tells her fourth husband to be gentle on their wedding night. I'm still a virgin. How could that be, he asked. Well, my first husband was a psychiatrist. He just liked to talk about it. My second, a gynecologist. He would only look at it. My third was a veterinarian. He just coughed up hairballs. So the show the other night wasn't going well, and someone yelled, What do you do when you're not being funny? 
That was a good question. Once I had given myself permission to be funny, I mean to be funny in public, that's all I thought about. What makes other people laugh? I know what makes me laugh, and it's not the same thing. Not the same thing at all. And that's a disappointing problem. My job is to make you laugh. If I get up here and laugh at what I'm saying, it better be because we are all enjoying the joke so much that I can't help myself, and you don't mind because it's just so damn funny. The hardest thing is to laugh at yourself, especially if you're ashamed of something. I had a friend who got busted by an undercover cop for soliciting an undecent act, and he pled not guilty. He said he was just doing market research, and the judge thought that was funny enough that he sentenced him to community service. I got community service once. I won't say what it was for, but obviously it wasn't something the community would have approved of. Otherwise, I wouldn't have been pulling weeds on a Saturday morning at a cemetery. Talk about a tough audience. Gravestones are implacable. I'd look at a name no one ever bestows on their daughters or sons anymore. Phyllis, Aloysius, Prudence. What made this person laugh? Telling jokes to dead people. But I swear that morning I heard someone laughing, and I looked around, and there's no one there. There's a famous, well, I suppose if he were famous, I wouldn't have to explain who he was, but in ancient times, before Lincoln was president, before Washington was president, before England had a monarch ancient, a man named Demosthenes practiced speaking by standing on a beach and speaking to the waves coming in. I get motion sickness very easily, so I thought, hey, a cemetery, that's a steady audience, about as steady as babies in a crib. How many people here have children, or at least want to have one someday? Good. Children make me happy. Other people's children. How about a little applause for the hard-working folks who have children? Because let me tell you, the children are not applauding. From their point of view, this is what in sports is called a team-friendly contract. Or any relationship, a company-friendly contract. A right to be a child law is like a right-to-work law. It's meant to tilt things towards the minimum. Free choice. One doesn't choose to be born, but I still love the notion of free will. Thirty years of purgatory, lying about high school glory, but don't use that for a lame excuse, your wedding night self-abuse. Self-abuse. Now that's a quaint term. Masturbation's no longer a mortal sin, or at least not an immortal mortal sin. I suppose there is one way, and, and I'm afraid I'm guilty here. I can't help it if the Virgin Mary's hot. And it helps a lot when one remembers that of course she masturbated. Just because she was a virgin doesn't mean that she didn't enjoy her body, that she didn't go to sleep at night fingering her clit until she came. Now there is a thought. I have no problem with the doctrinal paradoxes, shall we call them? Annunciation Angel, I'm on that page. 
Virgin birth? You got that, Jack. I'm with you all the way. But if you were to insist, as a matter of papal infallibility, that the Virgin Mary, however, is a woman without a clit, well, I hit the pause button there because, you see, she is perfect in body and mind, therefore she would have to be perfect, her clit would have to be perfect. Lenny Bruce ended up in jail for less than this. It occurred to me to get up here and to do his routine because no one would even recognize that it's his routine not mine. To is a preposition. Come is a verb. I bet there's no one here tonight who knows the punchline to that routine. Where are my hecklers when I need them, Lenny? Lenny, forgive them. They know not what they laugh at. As Lenny learned all too well, you don't make jokes about religions. God walks into a bar with a priest and a minister, and the bartender says, Who's buying? God says, I lost a bet. I am. The bartender pours around. They drink. It's very quiet. God indicates another round. He pays again. And finally, the bartender says, Hey, would you mind telling me what the bet was that you lost? Oh, says God, they said that they were funnier than I am. So I got up in front of a congregation. I disguised myself, of course, and I bombed. A tough audience, I tell you. And these two were sitting there, and they even invited a rabbi in and an imam, too, and they all sat stone-faced in the front row. And this isn't meant as a joke, but a little life lesson. We all think there's something we could do if we had half a chance. I'm sure all of you think I could be a comedian. What you don't realize is that you already are. No human being gets through life without being a comedian. It's in our DNA. Why do you really think we got kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve were doing imitations of God. I'm so kind. I'm so generous, in an affectionate, light-hearted sort of way. But God didn't see it that way. You think I'm so funny, huh? Hit the road. See if you'll laugh out there. And we did. And we have. And we do. God bless you. And if he doesn't, may you at least get home safely and embrace the ones you love one more time. So I'm up first tonight, huh? It's a little early to ask how you're doing because you're probably doing about the same as I am. Two things are fairly obvious. One, you've never heard of me as a stand-up comic, and it's a bit late at my age to try to break into the business. But I wasn't impressed with the remake of Going in Style, which should have starred three women... Susan Sarandon, Jane Fonda, and Oprah Winfrey. It would be hard to forget that they're famous, but that's always the problem. You're either too famous or not famous at all. It's the paradox akin to a cow chewing cud. Burp it up, sluice it down, 
unlike paradoxes. They should be funnier than they are. How's it going out there in chairland? Give your memories a little leg room. Can you stretch out? Think about it. If politicians really wanted to do something for us, they'd pass a law. Airlines must provide each passenger with at least as much legroom as you get allotted at a nightclub with a $500 ticket. Think about it. If you were paying that much to be here tonight for a couple of hours, the same amount of time it takes to fly halfway across the United States, wouldn't you be pissed if you only had as much legroom as you do on a plane? I had other careers before I got desperate enough to risk humiliating myself in public, but the yearning for a quirky kind of immortality is hard to resist, isn't it? There are lots of people who are funny, and when your friends laugh, they aren't faking it, any more than your spouse is faking it when he or she comes. Yes, he, any woman who thinks a man has come every time he penetrates her is living in a porno fantasy. Fortunately, comedy is easier than orgasm. The truth is that it's very hard to get any respect in show business once you pass that age of, I don't want to say the number. The same way that toilet humor was once questionable, now it's age that's obscene. Those seven dirty words, more like seven dirty numbers, each one more inexcusably obscene. And I am only talking about it as a way to distract me from my real worry. I try to stay optimistic. After all, no one wants to be around a grouchy fortune teller. But I am getting older, and I can't help talking about it. One of my youngest friends, I won't say how young, but he still has his fair share of gray hair, told me last week that he wanted to take me out to dinner as a way of thanking me for all the years I've mentored him. And so we were enjoying our second glass of wine, and I said, Look, I promised myself that I wouldn't be a downer tonight, wondering how much longer I'll be able to hold out. But I'm not giving in to that temptation. I repeat to myself every morning and every night, there's still a fair chance that I'll live to be 70. And my friend says to me, but Bill, you turned 76 months ago. Yeah, I say, and I don't want to take my good luck for granted. Right now, I feel more like an overdue library book that got an extension. It's really quiet out there. It's so quiet, I almost wish, almost, that one of you would start heckling me. But of course, that would be the end of my act because I am not one of these comedians who has snappy comebacks. Before I decided to give this a try, I asked some friends for tips, and they all said, unanimously, get a lawyer. But I'm a lawyer, or at least I used to be one before I got disbarred. So I got a lawyer, and it seemed like a waste of time and money until I got a call the other day. But it wasn't about my stage act. My lawyer said she had received a cease and desist order from a phone sex company. What am I supposed to cease? 
It's more than that, actually, she said. The first letter was a cease and desist, but today they've actually filed a lawsuit claiming sexual harassment. There's this pause, and I hear this voice. Bill? Bill? Are you still there? Yeah, I'm just trying to process this. Well, says the lawyer, don't worry. We'll deny everything. Wait a minute. What specifically did I do? You said you were going to kiss her cunt, and you didn't ask permission first. Have I ever met this person, I asked? I thought I heard the lawyer say, phone sex, but maybe this is a real person. I mean a real in-person person. I've gone down on women without asking permission first. I figure once we agree, through a traditional set of markers, that things are kind of groovy, I can go down. But the lawyer said, of course you haven't met her. She is a phone sex worker. That's the point. So the other day, my wife, who used to be a phone sex worker before I pulled off the ultimate seduction, is gathering dirty clothes for a load of laundry, and she asked me, is this towel clean? And I look at her and say, well, you were the one that used it this morning. Didn't you just get out of the shower when you used it? So I guess it's still clean. How could it get dirty when all it did was dry you off? And that's the difference between men and women. Taciturn habits die hard. We went shopping the other day. She can't help it. A woman sizes up a man just on his belt and shoes. That's it. Belt and shoes signals the kind of car he drives equals potential lifetime earnings equals the algorithms of a meal ticket. You know the cliche. Women are good with words. Men are numbers geeks. So belt and shoes time because my spouse doesn't want me introducing her at the office party and having to roll her eyes any more than necessary. Look what I picked up at the discount bin. Such a bargain. How could I pass it up, especially since he was obviously on the rebound? So it's shoe time, belt time. After all, you want to think of yourself as the star of the movie of your life. I mean, you're the soundstage, right? And you're the camera. But being the star and being the hero are two different things. The reality is you're no more the star of the movie of your life and your cat or your dog is willing to go along with. You want a film credit? Imagine a film about the pet population in your neighborhood. Now there's a cast of dozens, if not hundreds, and they're all willing to let you have a cameo. You want matching colors, right? Brown belt, brown shoes, black belt, black shoes. A man wants to look good from the waist down, doesn't he? When his wife walks in and his body's playing suicide rope-a-dope with a stepladder. How's it going, dear? Oh, just changing a light bulb and thought you might appreciate the halo effect. There's nothing more thoughtful than pinning your last words to your chest on a little folded slip of paper. Women know what handsome means. 
It's always a question of proportions. Size matters. The fit matters. But does the size of the fantasy fit the one you love? If not, the fantasy has to change, even if it takes an accident, because good accidents, handsome ones, cause things to fit together better than expected. You're a very handsome audience. Don't think I'm kidding, though I love to tease people. Trust me, I'm no good at heckling. Is there a good heckler in the audience? Not that I want to encourage it. I had a friend who did stand-up for a couple of years. He said that being heckled is like being at a bar by yourself, and the bartender keeps pretending to pour you a drink, and you pretend to sip. That metaphor deserves heckling, and one might have the right heckler show up some night. You're not her, nor are you. Just teasing. One of the advantages of being a comedy writer is that no one can heckle you but yourself. The secret shame of telling yourself to piss off. Of course, being heckled is part of the gig. If you stand up, you're a comedian. If you sit down, you're a heckler. No experience required. Just shout out whatever you think is funny, and you're hired. And it's better than any other job. You get paid right away. And if you're funny enough, you think, I could make a living at this. Professional heckler. I'm taking applications afterwards and interviewing backstage. My agent can't wait to meet you. See you soon, my dearest humor mascots. The club owner knows what every comedian needs. And quiet as you've been, I've needed you more tonight than you'll ever know. That was The Comedian is the Letter N by Bill Moore. Produced and directed for Magra Radio by Paul Vangelisti, with technical assistance by Sean Pesson. You've been listening to Magra Radio, a broadcast project of Magra Books, streaming worldwide for your listening pleasure, bringing you news that stays news. Magra Radio is produced in Los Angeles by Sean Pesson and Paul Vangelisti.